0: Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Dress listeners, if you suffer from seasonal allergies like me, Astapro is your new go-to. It has been super helpful to me this spring as it bursts into full bloom.
1: And that's because Astapro is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter solution for nasal allergy symptoms. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro
0: delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. You too can get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief like I have with Astapro. It gets me back in the game, ready to record the show for all of you.
1: Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. That's A S T E P R O allergy.com. Ask Pro and Go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
0: Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of Dress Media. in the
1: world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. Dress listeners,
0: welcome to part two of our Paris recap because we could not contain everything that we did while we were there in one episode.
1: (laughs) I know. And I don't even know if we're going to be able to get to everything we did in this episode. We did so many things. We mentioned it on Tuesday, but we had two back-to-back tours, and they were not the same, right? So right. Uh, they had many similar components, but we also, each of them also had components that the other tour didn't have. And so we went ahead and just divided these two episodes thematically so we could kind of share with you the range of possibility. Should you choose to do your own Paris fashion history tour or should you choose to join us in the yes, future? Yes,
0: because we will definitely be running them in Paris again, maybe not necessarily in summer next year. And that is a because- little hot, The Olympics are going to be in Paris in 2024. So uh, don't want to overlap with that. But uh, Cass and I have been banding about the possibility of doing it in the fall when the weather is lovely, lovely, lovely and post-Olympics. So, um, well, many of the things that we did on this tour were specific to that very particular time because they were temporary exhibitions. So, Cass, I think that we should talk about the hair exhibition that we saw at the Musée des Arts Décoratifs. Yes? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. So, um this exhibition is an entire history of hair and body hair. Um, And it was uh, curated by Denis Brunat, who is the head of the fashion and textile department at the Musée des Arts de Cartif, which is, of course, part of the Louvre. Um, And this is the most comprehensive show I've ever seen dealing with this topic. It literally spans multiple floors. It starts in antiquity. Um, It talks about the cultural, social, like, and even, like, art history of not only hair but also body hair. Um and and it kind of really emphasizes how we deal with our hair is a cultural construction, right? And it varies over time. It speaks to gender, it speaks to our identity. Um pulled in part and parcel to this is, of course, wigs and hair pieces over time. And uh, Cass, I know that you have one very particular and very curious object that you might want to mention.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say, too, just before I I bring up these specific objects, is this is obviously an exhibition dedicated specifically to, like, European hair and white European hair, right? Mm -hmm. so... Um, that was kind High of by and of my, large. Yeah. Yeah. One of my critiques of the show is that they could have problematized problematized it or addressed that a little bit more head-on, um, pun intended. Um, but uh, yeah, it was an incredibly con- comprehensive show um dedicated to that specific topic. Um, and one I mean, there's so many crazy pieces in this show. I mean, it's huge. It was huge. Um, and one of the most unexpected things that I came across was this. Uh, By all accounts, an unassuming like head face with like a head right in a box, um, and a little stand next to it. So it would have been like a plate, a wig stand, et cetera, in a wooden box. But if you um you really missed something, if you didn't read the label. So I'm gonna go ahead and read this label to you (laughs) right now.
0: (laughs) So good. It's so good.
1: So, the wooden head in this box is said to have held a wig belonging to Charles II of England, who was the uh, 1630 to 1685, purported to have been woven from his mistress's pubic hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the but ensemble was part of the furniture of a Scottish men's club, the Baker's benison or the wig club that was active from 1732 to 1836. And the wig was probably destroyed during the 19th century. And as this label tells us, taking pubic hairs as souvenirs was a tradition in the libertine circles of the 17th century. So this is not unique to Charles II, but the fact that this wig box survives with this provenance is kind of amazing and very fascinating and entirely unexpected
0: yeah and, and was it a wig or was it a merkin it says that it was a wig a full wig
1: oh, okay for, for whatever a full reason wig. a full wig that is a lot of pubic hair just saying Yes. So, again, this <laughs> this exhibition did not shy from kind of confronting you with all of our different types of hair on our bodies, right? It was really about that as well uh-huh. and our relationship to hair. So, yeah. That yeah. was a, a unexpected highlight for me for sure. What about you?
0: Um I mean, so many of the fantastical wigs that were on display, um some of whom were by like contemporary makers um coming out of japan and um, kind of at the tail end of the exhibition kind of like, yeah that was really cool blew my mind like they were figural like they had actual figures coming out of the wigs um that was really really cool but i think my favorite thing actually wasn't hair or wigs at all actually they were sculptures um and it was like this whole set of bronze sculptures that were replicating the work of a celebrity hairdresser that I was not familiar with, um, whose name is Laurent Godefroy. Uh, he was apparently Jacqueline de Ribes' hairdresser, the great socialite and fashionista. Um, but apparently this uh, gentleman, Laurent, was known for his unique chignon, which he would um, sometimes call, customize or create individually for certain clients and he became so well known for his that he partnered with a sculptor who cast some of his more unique versions including Jacqueline's in bronze and so it's like this whole little kind of like line of these bronze sculptures that are in a case of these super perf- perfectionist chignons. I don't know. I just, I just loved it so much. And I'm kind of sad that it wasn't more about hair, but that was actually the thing that like caught my attention and like made me feel something the most. Right.
1: Yeah. It was a really, really cool exhibit and huge and part of a really, really really cool museum. So you could definitely probably spend the whole day at the decorative arts museum. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, is that exhibition still up or is it going to be gone now? Um, It is a temporary exhibition. So
0: if it is still up, it won't be up terribly, terribly long. So uh, check it out if you're in Paris this summer. Speaking of exhibitions that are coming down soon, do you want to talk about the exhibit at the Palais Galliera?
1: Yes. And so actually the Palais was not open when we were there last, or if they were, they did not have a fashion exhibition open. And the Palais Galliera is, of course, the fashion museum of Paris. Um, They have an incredible world-class collection of fashion history, um, European fashion history from like the eight. like 16th, 17th, 18th century. It's ridiculous. Um, and what was a really, really special treat for our first week's listeners is that we were actually met at the opening of the exhibitions. They had three fashion exhibitions up and we were met by Miran Arzaluz, who is a past dress guest and also the director of the museum. And so that was really special. And then we also, she was accompanied by Alexandra Sampson, who actually gave us a little bit of a walking tour of his exhibition, 1997 Fashion Big Bang, which just closed. I'm sorry, dress listeners, but there is a catalog. And it's and you, wonderful. Yeah. it's And as was this exhibition, and I think you you might join me in saying like, First, when I first heard about it, I'm like, what could an exhibition be on one year, right? Like, what Mm -hmm. could it possibly be? And like, this is going to, and I also thought, oh, it's going to be a small exhibition, like one of those like one room exhibitions or whatnot. No, this exhibition was insanely thought out, curated, I mean, and also just documenting this landmark year in fashion that none of us would have had any idea or a few people maybe would have put the pieces together to realize all of the things that happened in the year 1997 Mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you about some of them dress listeners um because not only did they define 1990s fashion but they continue to define fashion to this very day yeah and I'm not exaggerating no um, as the exhibition uh, quote a uh, quote from the exhibition briefly it brought a flurry 1997 brought a flurry of collection shows new appointments openings and events that define the fashion scene as we know it today such was its impact that 1997 can be thought of as a launching pad for 21st century fashion the magazine Vogue Paris defined the 1997 spring summer haute couture season as the big bang that paris needed in order to regain its place as the international capital of fashion in an era of economic crisis and intense global competition so as you learn in the exhibition from over 200 haute couture houses in paris in 1946 in 1996 there was only 15 mm. so the haute couture industry had dramatically decreased in terms of like its power, right? Where once haute couturiers really were the premier leaders in fashion design, they set the fashion design. It was largely overwhelmingly replaced by ready to wear the rise of ready to wear, um, in the 1960s and moving on. So that really became the standard. And in 1996 and 1997, um, 1997 is really cre- credited with reviving the haute couture and also bringing it to kind of that level of theatrical performance that we're so familiar with today. Galliano. And that is because... The Queen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 1997 was the year that both Jean-Paul Gaudier and Terry Mugler, who were, you know, had been around since the 80s at least, um, showed haute couture collections for the first time. In 1997, Mugler's famous insect people... Mm-hmm. on display in this exhibition as were Jean-Paul Gaultier's costume designs for The Fifth Element, which April, I think you and I were just like, oh my God. Yeah. That was it, really cool. That was really cool. And Alexandra, we went to lunch with him. He told us like how hard those were to track down. <laughs> yeah, because that movie came out that year. And of course, Jean-Paul Gaultier designed the costumes. But anyways, so not only did Terry Mugler and Jean-Paul Gaultier show their first haute couture collections, so did, as April just said, Alexander McQueen as Givenchy and John Galliano at Dior. Mm-hmm. So they were appointed as he- creative directors of those houses in 96, but they did not show their first couture collections till 97. And so I don't need to tell you the seismic impact that they had on 21st century fashion. Um, and then they also just talk about all of these other things, other other appointments, like Albert Albez at Guy La Roche in 1997, mm-hmm. Marc Jacobs at Louis Vuitton in 1997. Mm-hmm. And then you have all of these things like like uh, Ray Kawakubo's Comme des Garcons Body Meets Dress, Dress Meets Body Collection. The Lumps and Bumps, mm-hmm. yes. affectionately called collection. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Martin Margiela's famous like Stockman collection. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was just like one thing after another. Mm -hmm. And one of my highlights was, I know I've said this many times on the show, but one of my entry points to fashion history, or at least learning I could make a profession out of fashion history, was Valerie Stills' corset cultural history book. And on the cover of that book is a Christian Lacroix gown. Um, It's this beautiful silk satin um, or silk gown. It's purple with all these beautiful like silk flowers on it. That was on display in 1997. Yeah. Yep. So, just I mean I don't know what what were some of your highlights? I mean. <laughs> I also
0: love the fact that Jeremy Scott started at Mosquito in 1997. So there's like right. some stuff that's like a very early his work for Mosquito, which is not pop culture reference at all. It was like this entirely like really delicate, all white collection. Um, I don't know. You and I wandered around that show like kind of like in awe. And I said that this is a fashion curator's show for fashion curators. like. Mm-hmm. It was so well done. Like you could walk into that show on multiple different levels and everybody's going to walk out with something. So like maybe you're not a huge fashion person, um, but you could appreciate like what was happening and like the impact of those designs on contemporary fashion today. But then if you are somebody who is a huge fashion history nerd, like we are, just seeing all of it in context and in conversation with each other, was mind-blowing um and also too i just want to say that like i don't think i've ever seen a fashion exhibition that came at like a topic or a theme in this way before which i thought was so smart creative super creative and i'm just going to state for the record that like that show i feel like is going to kind of like push the genre of fashion curation in a new direction um it was it was really 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 well done and again like you I was like oh it's a it's a gonna be an exhibition about this one year well um Alexandra turned us all on our heads
1: with that one so bravo sir (laughs) that was a fantastic way to start our time at the Polo Galliera but that we were not done no that's the first exhibition that greets you And then you go downstairs to an exhibition that April is going to introduce us to. Yeah,
0: so there's another exhibition in the permanent gallery spaces there called Mode en Mouvement or Fashion in Motion. Um, And that is going to be on display for quite some time. So it has not ended it just opened the first day that we were there and it has more than 200 pieces in the exhibition dating all the way back to the 18th century. Um, and as I already mentioned that the Olympics are going to be in Paris in 2024. So this exhibition was kind of like curated with that in mind. And the entire exhibition is about how clothes move with us so um originally i thought like oh this is gonna be like a lot of sportswear in this exhibition which there definitely absolutely is but it's really about like um, yeah, how clothes move along with our bodies, and how those experiences um, and those silhouettes have shifted over time.
1: And yeah, I was going to say it's an evolution.
0: Yeah, an evolution. Um, and I just want to say on a, a completely other note, um, I uh, that show starts out with some 18th century pieces, um, including a robe à la française. And while we were in Paris, in between the two tours, it happened to be the Grand Mass Ball at Versailles, um, which is a dance party that happens every year at Versailles in the Orangery, and you have to attend an 18th century costume, which I did, um, as Cass <laughs> knows. Um, so that was so interesting, like, seeing that show. And then, like, also in that same week, experiencing wearing a robo la francaise um all night long um it was it was made for me obviously it was not from the 18th century I was not wearing a museum piece let's not cancel me um (laughs) but um that was a seeing the show again for the second time after wearing a robo la francaise for like eight or ten hours That was an entirely reframing experience, I guess. So um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But um, if anybody wants to go to a rave at Versailles next year, you guys let me know. (laughs) It happens (laughs) once a year. It was very fun. Started at midnight, ended at dawn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so obviously starting with the corset, right? Or it was like starting with a corseted waist in the 18th century and then moving into kind of like that brief, corset optional period in the early 1800s mm-hmm. um, before going straight back into corset so you kind of see this evolution of women's fashion specifically there was some men's pieces though I believe as well Yeah, absolutely um, but um, primarily focused on men's wear and or on women's wear I'm sorry and I mean I think one of my audible gas moments in that exhibition um, was the poire. You know, <laughs> yes. Was turning the corner in um and it was very chronological how it was set up. So I'm moving at, you know, you see some of poire's like um or not poires, but you hear it mentioned that poire has of course f- freed women from the corset or whatnot. And then you turn and I I just saw one of the most beautiful Poiré pieces that I've always only ever seen in pictures. And it's this blue um, Ampere waist silk, uh, chiffon uh, it's kind of got like this blue overlay and then these embroidered flowers like colorful red roses on the top uh, and I of course hopefully will post a picture for it uh, for you all so you can see it but it was just one of those rare moments where you come face to face with a garment that you've always loved in person so that was really really special
0: mm-hmm.
1: like you saw it before I
0: did and you're like come here come here come here like you were very excited yeah <laughs> yeah, um, yeah my favorite piece in the whole exhibition was a scaparelli piece no surprise there um <laughs> but it was a leather jacket that was extremely kind of like tailored slash fitted it had You know, really cool buttons um, down the front. Scap loved to do buttons. She worked with like a lot of like artisanal button makers. Sometimes they were surrealist inspired. Um, But the cool thing about this particular jacket was that it had in the back. It had like a V-shaped panel that was knit. So, so cool. So you could like move in it. Like it was literally the definition of like what this entire exhibition was about. Um, yeah. So, um, I know that you got very excited about that piece too, when you saw it.
1: Oh yeah. Because you didn't notice until you, you had to read the label to even realize you were supposed to look at the back. And that was Mm -hmm. one of those moments too, where you're like, can you put a mirror there so we can all see it um, better a little bit better but it was really really cool yeah I mean there was a lot of really special pieces in that exhibition um, and again just very comprehensive and huge because like they have an incredible collection there um, 200,000 yeah. pieces approximately oh, just a small collection
0: Dress listeners, whatever your reason for wanting to learn a new language, whether it's an upcoming international adventure, communicating with your friends and family abroad,
1: or even professional purposes, Rosetta Stone has got you covered. As the trusted expert in language learning for 30 years now, you can join millions of Rosetta Stone users to learn any of the 25 languages offered. That includes Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and so many more. And this is fast language
0: acquisition, friends. There are no English translations, so you learn to speak listen and think in your new language. And right now you can get lifetime access to all 25 of Rosetta Stone's language courses for 50% off. That's language
1: learning for 25 languages for the rest of your life, which Cass is frankly amazing. It is. And what are you waiting for, dress listeners? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, dress listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today.
0: Dress listeners, did you know that you can save on everything from fashion to beauty, home decor to groceries, even kids' school supplies with Rakuten?
1: Rakuten is a shopping platform that partners with over 3,500 stores across every category. Beauty, clothing, electronics, home, department stores, pets, you name it. You're already shopping at your favorite stores, so why not be saving while doing it? It really is a no-brainer. How does it work, you ask? Well, stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares
0: the commission with its members. You get paid via a check or PayPal quarterly.
1: Membership is free and it's easy to sign up. So join the 17 million members who have already saved at their favorite brands. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. Your cash back really adds up. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com.
0: Menopause, perimenopause, these can be some of the most uncomfortable phases of a woman's life. If you find yourself in either of these, well, Hormone Harmony is here for you. Hormone Harmony capsules contain science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes, that happen naturally throughout a woman's life.
1: Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it really shows. And get this
0: Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take
1: it. But it is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. And for a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code DRESSED at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code DRESSED for 15% off today. And as you know, April, that was actually not the only Poiret to see that day, which is one of the other major major surprises of that experience at Palais was they had a Third exhibition called Colors of Fashion and Autochromes. And this exhibition is actually up until March of next year. So you'll have a chance to see it. Uh, in addition, I think fashion moves up till September and unfortunately 1997 closed. But The Colors of Fashion um, was an incredible exhibition that paired autochromes with real fashions. And in many cases, the actual fashion that's depicted in the autochrome. So I'm just going to read kind of the overview of the exhibition, which says, between 1921 and 1923, French luxury goods were put on display in Paris in a new kind of event the Salon du Gout, Fat Francaise, or the Salon of French Taste. The exhibition's origin lay in the way it was presented. Backlit color photographs, like the quote, stained glass windows of a cathedral, were used to promote French industry from fashion to the automobile, from goldsmithery to the decorative art. So it was like this new way to display fashion objects or decorative art objects without having the actual objects. So they were like these int- intensely colored photographs. And today, 2,000 autochromes, including more than 800 devoted to fashion, are preserved at the Musée National des Arts et Métiers, So, the National Museum of Arts and Crafts. And that was what was on exhibition alongside real pieces. Uh, and there were multiple parades, including April. You and I, I think, both share love of this Andre Marti Pochois print from 1922, where I think I bought it for you, or I definitely own it. I can't remember. One of us owns it. It's so a woman who has been shot through the heart. Oh, yes. You bought it for yeah, me for my a, birthday one year. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's a black long Poiré gown and it's got um, kind of fringe or rib- like um rose um, around kind of the thigh area in green. And the purple version of that dress is on display paired with mm-hmm. the print. So that was just... An incredibly beautiful exhibition. I definitely will be doing a reel on that exhibit as well because you have to see it to believe it. It was just like one jaw-droppingly beautiful image after another.
0: Yeah. And one of the cool things about the autochromes, it was a glass plate technique. So the, the images themselves are kind of like lit from behind um and you actually get to see some of the original plates in the exhibition um and also too this is the 1920s that we're talking about so color photography was not common was not common at all so the fact that we get to see the colors the color palette of fashion at that era um is also something that is super supremely special and the fact that a lot of times the garments that are in the autochromes in the photographs themselves that the the galliera actually owns that dress is you know astounding so very 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 cool show there is an exhibition catalog and thank you to our friend ms Arzelus for um gifting us catalogs for all of the exhibitions that were up uh, we sincerely appreciate it so now we can visit those when we're at home as well
1: <laughs> yes and alexandra as well for taking us um into the 1997 exhibition and kind of sharing some of that process with uh-huh. us as well uh it was so so lovely to meet him um, and so that kind of rounds out our play time. Um, and on Tuesday's episode, we talked about we talked about how we did guided tours that we ourselves did not lead. So we're briefly going to talk to you about the guided tours that we did lead because we actually have done two past episodes on them, and that includes our two. Uh, our Versailles episode, we talked to you about kind of the etiquette at Versailles, as well as Marie Antoinette's wardrobe. Those were past dressed episodes because those are actual tours that we give at Versailles Mm -hmm. on our tour. Hands down, highlight of the tour is spending a day at Versailles. We go there, um, we go through kind of the state's rooms and then we all meet for a picnic and then we kind of give everyone the afternoon off, but we suggest everyone goes to Marie Antoinette's Hamlet and the Petite Trianon, which of course is this space that was kind of created for her by Louis to get away from the palace life. And, and actually what was really special this time is that while well, there was multiple things for one, we kind of skipped the hustle and bustle of the palace because it's very busy mm-hmm. and we went ahead and rented a golf cart.
0: okay the the reason (laughs) the reason why we skip the hustle and the bustle of the palace is that uh, when people join us on the tour if they have not been to Versailles before there is a like an audio guided tour that they take first yes um however uh Cass and I have now been to Versailles so many times that Like we don't need to go on the same audio guided tour all the time. And the gardens at Versailles, honestly, to me are more interesting at this point than the palace because there's all these little hidden nooks and crannies um there's all these official what are called baskets um that are like these little gem jewels that are hidden all in the gardens like it could be an amphitheater it could be like a crazy sculpture it could be um a, a very specific type of rose garden but they're all hidden throughout the larger body of gardens and it's massive. So last time we were there a couple, a couple years ago, we were making fun of, of Sean Cassidy's husband for wanting to rent a golf cart
1: to drive around
0: <laughs> this year. We're like, no, we figured it out. This is what's up. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it was actually wasn't it raining too, so it was it kind was. of perfect. Yeah, I uh, had Leo and I was breastfeeding, and so I did not unfortunately get to get out much because it was raining, and so I stayed on the golf cart with Leo while you, Haley, and Sean um, went and explored these different gardens. And let's just say, I also compared it to the Jurassic Park because these golf carts are like golf carts are on like a line basically where it, they'll stop working if you go out of bounds mm-hmm. and there's also this narration like this historical narration while you're driving so they talk to you yeah, so maybe it's attached a gps so yes, if you're yes. driving past a certain basket like it, it's gonna like kick on and like tell you about it which is very cool Yeah, so it just reminded me of Jurassic Park because I'm like, here we go on our little tour. Uh Uh-oh, what happens if we get off tour? Will we get transported to the 18th century by accident? Who knows? (laughs) Um, It was really, really fun though. Yeah. That was a highlight. That is my pro tip
0: is is if you're going to be at Versailles, like, yes, absolutely. If you've never been there, you have to see the palace, but do not skip the gardens. A lot of people do. and I don't think they simply realize like how vast and how really amazing they are and a lot of them have um fountains um and
1: some of them are accompanied by music it's a whole thing it's a whole thing yeah you kind of need to go to Versailles like I guess if you're spending the entire day there like Disneyland or something you just got to pace yourself um because you can spend like maybe an hour going through the palace and then go and get yourself a golf court cart for an hour and then drive through all the gardens and then spend the next half of the day back at the Petit Trianon. There's restaurants back there too. Mm -hmm. So you can get some food, um, some coffee, or even like a glass of wine if you wanted. And you can, um, before going into Petit Trianon, which was, and what was really special about the Petit Trianon this time, I missed it last time. I don't know if it was on display. No, it wasn't. Um, is uh, Vigée, Vigée Lebrun's portrait of Marie Antoinette is on display in uh, the Petit Palais. Um, and you've heard us talk many times too about Marie Antoinette's Hamlet, which is this it kind of, village that she made for herself so she could play shepherdess in the 18th century um with her pink complete with pink sheep and there's still animals back there there's Mm -hmm. still um they still keep the gardens you can get you can pay five euro and get a glass of fresh pressed orange juice um but it is a little bit of a trek and a walk yeah but it's totally worth it it's so amazing yeah visiting the farm is actually one of my
0: favorite things when i go all the way back there there's There's horses, there's donkeys, there's sheep, there's pigs, there's rabbits, there's, they're, they're all out there. And then that's houses. Yeah. And there's a working farm too, where they're actually growing, not just like flowers, but also vegetable gardens as well. So it's, it's still running kind of similar to probably how it ran in the 18th century. So Yeah, yeah, it's very, very cool. Yes. Um, okay. So also to one of the things that we have developed, um, just for our Paris tours is our own unique researched tour of the Rue de la Paix. Do you want to talk about that Cass? Cause that's kind of
1: more your project than, than it was mine. Yeah, and I'm gonna just talk about it briefly because again, we did an entire episode about this. So if you want to find our Ruta Paix episode and download it for your own, you can take that episode along with you and do the Rue de la tour with us in your ear narrating it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Ruta de la is kind of like this oh luxury street, um, revered around the world. It's been the subject of plays and you know, revelry because it just has become kind of this like legendary status in fashion history. But it's this really iconic fashion history street in Paris. It happens to um, dead end at the Place Vendôme, um, which could arguably be called the Rue de la Paix from today, because that's where you'll find Chanel and Scaparelli and um, the Ritz. Uh, so, and Dior. So it's a very famous street. Um, and it had all of these, you know, the purveyors you think about when you think about 19th century haute couture, like Worth, Doucet, Pacan, um, all had houses on this street. So that's what our tour talks about. Um, it's also conveniently located, as I think I mentioned um, uh the play garnier is at one end so you could go to the Palais garnier then you could go over to the fragonard museum and then you can walk on down the rue de la paix um and i think one of the highlights of that tour is that the scaparelli scaparelli also had her um boutique on the rue de la paix her first house and natalie mm-hmm. on the rue de la paix and the house continues to um in uh, the premises when she moved to the Place Vendôme. So you can still see the original Scaparelli boutique on the Place Vendôme yep. um, that's still occupied. So yep. um, that's a really, really cool tour.
0: Yay. Um, and we did a new one this year too that we had never done before. Um, some of our regular dress listeners will probably remember that the intersection of war and fashion is one of my special interests. Like, How does fashion react in times of extreme crisis? So um, we did a tour at the Musée Carnavalet um, about uh, the intersection of fashion during the French Revolution. And the Musée Carnavalet is the museum of the city of Paris. So it is a repository of all this incredible history of the city itself. Um, They actually have an entire section that is devoted to only the French Revolution that is on permanent display. And so within that section, there's so much um, that we were able to talk about because people were actually making things during the French Revolution that were kind of like, testimonies to the politics of the era. Um, There were fans. We saw all sorts of jewelry, um, including a pair of guillotine earrings. So the earrings themselves were little guillotines. Um, We saw a whole host of very, very rare garments and other wearables related to Marie Antoinette and her family as well. Quite a bit of hair jewelry containing hair from the royal family. We saw Louis's buckles that were worn on his knee breeches. We actually saw one of Marie Antoinette's undergarments, a chemise. Really, really fascinating things there that, that were like you know, tangible evidence of the relationship between fashion and um,
1: politics at the time. So that one, that yeah. one was a very fun. And that museum's really cool because it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a that's a permanent exhibition. So it's always going to be there and it is the history of Paris. So you can start kind of at the very beginning. And if you have the whole day, you could spend the whole day there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also really cool like artwork. And um, for instance, like Proust's room is there, like where Mm -hmm. he wrote um, in search of lost time. And some of his clothing pieces are there. So dress listeners, I mean, these are just kind of examples, these past two episodes of all of the things that we did in Paris. We hope this inspires you. Um, on your own Parisian fashion history adventures or to join us next year, sometime in the fall when we plan, um, when we plan, uh, next year's trip. And, you know, we did so many other things that we're just going to briefly mention here. Of course, you know, from last week that we did a live podcast recording with historian, embroidery historian, and um, Ocouture embroiderer herself and archivist Nadia Albertini. Um, She joined us. And af- actually, after we did that live podcast, we actually did an embroidery workshop with her. Um, and she recreated for us a ribe embroidery, based on um, a Marie Antoinette motif that Rebe had used for Dior. So that was really special um, to have that class with Nadia after doing that live recording with her. So these are kind of some of those like special experiences we hope to provide our listeners um, when you join us in Paris. And that episode,
0: that live episode has actually already aired. So you can just tune back to uh, last week's episode and hear that live episode uh, with Nadia. I mean, so many other things. We haven't even mentioned the fact that we went to Duro, which was an auction house. um, Very, very old auction house, very famous auction house that puts on something like 13 hundred options a year where you can bid on jewelry, watches, fashion, textiles, galore. Um, we also had a little bit of a sultry evening at the Crazy Horse, which is of course a boîte de nuit or cabaret. Let's just say that um, they they wear very little on stage at the Crazy Horse and many, many prestigious fashion designers um, have designed the Crazy Horse costumes in the past including Jean-Paul Gaultier and Terry Mugler. Um, of course the girls on stage were all wearing 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 their Louboutins and a shout out to Sarah from the trip who was wearing the same Louboutins to the show that the girls were wearing on stage, which was very, (laughs) very fun. Um, You know, we also went to the Paris flea market. We did so, so, so much more. So we simply cannot uh, cover it all here
1: today. Yes. And thank you so much to all of the lovely people who joined us on our tour on both weeks. We had so much fun getting to know each and every one of you. I mean, I cannot say enough wonderful things about this experience. And of course, just listeners, thank you to all of you for everyone just like letting us do what we do here on the podcast. It's so special. And we're so grateful to all of you for making this happen for us and for sharing in our love of fashion history with us and allowing us to do a um, two-part episode dedicated to that very topic. Um, So again, thank you all so much. And of course, thank you to Laura at Like Minds Travel and Jamie, her sister, who we work with to make these trips possible. So that does it for us today, Dress listeners. May you consider taking Dress Podcast with you on your next fashion history tour of Paris next time you get dressed. Dressed listeners, if you are interested in joining us for any of our
0: upcoming trips and tours, you can email us to register your interest. You can email us at hello at dressedhistory.com. You can also
1: DM us on Instagram, and that is at dress underscore podcast. Yes, and definitely check out our show notes. We'll also link to Like Minds Travel where you can sign up and register your interest for our upcoming New York tour. And we'll also provide links to many of the people and places we talked about today. Thank you, dress listeners. More dress coming your way on Tuesday. Dress, the history of fashion is a production of Dress Media.